1: This episode of Red or Dead is sponsored by Book Riot Insiders. Struggling to keep up with the latest releases? Want to keep an eye on what's coming out in the next few months for work or your own personal pre-ordering needs? If you need help turbocharging your TBR, Book Riot Insiders is here for you. Our new release index, available at the novel level for just $5 a month, is curated by our resident reader Liberty Hardy, from the All the Books podcast. She keeps track of the most exciting books pre-publication so that you can browse them, know when your favorite author's next novel hits stores, or find your next favorite read. Go to insiders.bookriot.com. Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 49, and we are recording on Tuesday, April 9th. I'm Katie McLean Horner, along with special guest host Vanessa Diaz, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello,
0: Vanessa. Hi. Oh, my God. You said my last name so great.
1: Oh, I was afraid that I, I was afraid that I totally butchered it. Okay, no, and it's such a simple
0: name, but everybody says Diaz, which to be honest is fine. But that was very, very great. So thank you.
1: <laughs> You're welcome. My my Chicago accent did not did <laughs> no. not get the better of me. So since you are um you are a guest host on here, if uh, for people who may not know what you what exactly you do at Book Riot, why don't you why don't you give everyone an idea of what you do and where where they can find you.
0: Yeah. So I am one of the contributing editors. Um, I do two of our newsletters. So if you subscribe to audiobooks or in the club, that's who is behind that. And I also produce some of our YouTube content following in uh, Rincey's lovely booktube steps <laughs> on every uh, Friday over at our channel. And I'm actually also the co-host of our Read Harder podcast with Tears Up Price. So I'm all over the place. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you're like me. We got the. Although I don't do the videos, um, I'm I leave that to more capable people. I'd rather hide behind a microphone than in front of a camera.
0: Oh, it is a process.
1: <laughs> oh gosh, I can't even imagine. Like I, the fact that that you and also just Rincy has been doing this for so long, I was like, wow. And Rincy is a pro.
0: Like I, I, I look at her doing it sometimes, and I, I just need to have a sit down with her and have her talk me off the ledge. Like, how long does it take you to pull it off that polish? Because A simple like eight minute video will often take me like an hour and a half it's just it's nerve wracking it's good it's a lot of fun but I don't know I have like a newfound respect for all these makeup people because (laughs) seeing yourself on camera is an experience (laughs) you start to think about things like lighting and did I do my hair this morning or all that kind of crap which shouldn't matter but it just somehow feels like it does and then you know not sounding like an idiot
1: <laughs> all in one yeah the sounding like an idiot thing I left behind a long time ago when we <laughs> first started doing the podcast but yeah at least at least with this you know I am I am proudly sitting in the office my hair is a mess I have no makeup on I've got my I've got my schlumpy clothes on I usually have my comfy my comfy slippers on I don't today which now I'm thinking might have been a mistake but uh, but yeah I am I am safely hidden from view you guys you just get to hear our lovely voices which is such a blessing not to have to try so that's awesome
0: (laughs) now that you know that about us (laughs) yes
1: now that you know that about us um so if you are new to the show welcome if uh you are a longtime listener welcome back um thank you for sticking with us for so long um this is the part of the show where we put out uh we put out a call For all of our listeners, if you have any ideas, questions, suggestions, uh, reading, uh, recommendation, requests, anything along those lines that uh, fits with uh, the theme of mystery, suspense, and thrillers, and true crime, and all that fun stuff. If you have anything that you would like to communicate with us, we invite you to communicate with us. Um, We will have our contact information at the end of the show, and uh, we're, like I always say, we're always looking for new ideas and uh, feedback from listeners. You guys have given us some great Uh, So given us some great suggestions in the past, and we very much look forward to the great suggestions that you will give us in the future. Um, so with that, um, we've got a couple of news items, uh, that we'll go ahead and kick and, uh, kick this podcast off with. Um, the first thing is that there have been a ton of adaptation, uh, news items that have come out in the last couple of weeks, so I'm just going to lump them all together. We'll have all <laughs> of the, uh, we'll have all of the links in the show notes for you so you can look at each one individually. Um, but basically we've got, um, TV deals for, um, uh, the library book by Susan Orlin or or Orlean, I don't know how she pronounces it, but that uh, that book came out I think last yeah it came out last year because I got it for Christmas. Um, that uh, Paramount has optioned that book for TV. Um, Netflix has made a deal for Mary Kubica's upcoming novel, The Other Misses and the psychological suspense novel that again came out last year or the year before called our house by Louise Candlish that is also being adapted for TV and then uh the historical uh true crime book conan doyle for the defense uh gets picked up for film um so for all- these are all new adaptations or these are new adaptation announcements I should say so there there isn't a ton of information about casting um or anything else along those lines. So we'll update you as we get more information about that, but just have those uh have those books on your radar cuz they are going to be getting the the uh film or TV treatment in the in the future. There's so many adaptations. It's like hard to keep up with them. Oh, it, it it's impossible. And we're just limiting it to mystery, suspense and thrillers. I yeah, mean, exactly. I do I do add, uh, I have an adaptation section in my librarian newsletter, and every week, like, my eye just starts twitching, and how many adaptation <laughs> announcements come out, I'm like, I've got to figure out a way to shorten this. This is ridiculous.
0: <laughs> I was looking at the Conan Doyle one, because I've been meaning to read that book forever, and I had no idea that at one point, Arthur Conan Doyle decided to try to solve a mystery just because he was like, well, I write about it, so this should be fine. <laughs> Like, imagine if we all adapted that same. Like, yeah, yeah, it's totally fine.
1: I write about surgery. I should, I should totally do this aortic dissection repair. It's like the exact opposite of. I'm not a doctor. I just play one on TV. Exactly.
0: I just thought that was super interesting. Um, but another adaptation that I'm super jazzed about is the
1: Clue-inspired
0: YA novel that's coming out, which I just have so many Muppet arms for because I love that stupid board game and that movie. I <laughs> wanted. I used to like dress up as my interpretation of Miss Scarlet by Leslie Ann Warren from the movie, like for no good reason. It wasn't Halloween. It was just like a Tuesday. (laughs) I super, super loved it. But this adaptation sounds interesting because it's taking, so it's going to be called um, In the Hall with a Knife. And it takes all of these characters. Again, it's going to be a YA trilogy. It's based on the board game. But instead, all of the characters are at a school, like at a, it's called, I think, like Blackbrook Academy and each of these six students with they have names like Sam Mustard Maester and Finn Plum Scarlet Mystery. Uh, so it sounds like these characters are going to be hopefully reinvented and maybe made a little bit more um, diverse. Uh, but they are at this school where the headmaster's name is Headmaster Body, <laughs> and then they find his body, <laughs> and from there on it becomes a whodunit. I am so here for that. So yeah, I, I can't wait to see that in that form.
1: And now I'm thinking of what would it be like to get a young adult sort of movie adaptation that's like the movie Clue. Exactly. Ugh. We watched we watched that movie so much in
0: college. <laughs> I, 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 I need to watch it again, because like, I don't think I've watched it in the last five years, and I used to watch it all the time, like, like more than you should.
1: Oh my gosh, that was like our go-to Saturday night movie. <laughs> um <laughs> And in college, because my, my friends and I, we, yeah, we did things like we would get a bottle of wine and play Bananagrams kind of thing. Oh, I hurt you and your friends. Yeah, yeah, we would do that. We made up a drinking game for planet Earth. <laughs> as one does. <laughs> yeah, th- as one does. Um, but yeah, those were the things that we did um, instead of going out like many of our, many of our esteemed classmates, but uh <laughs> But yeah, we wa oh my god, we watched so much clue. So I am excited for this as well. Um and I hope that it is just as as delightful and campy as it sounds because yes. we need we need more of that in our lives. Okay, and with that, um that takes us to our first sponsor, which is The Center of the Universe by Rhea Voros, uh, from KCP Loft. Grace Carter's mother, the celebrity news anchor Gigi Carter, is everything Grace is not. Gigi is a star with a following of thousands, while Grace, an aspiring astrophysicist, is into stars of another kind. Then one day, Gigi disappears. News shows speculate about what might have happened, and Grace's family struggles as they wait for answers. While the authorities unravel the mystery behind Gigi's disappearance, Grace grows closer to her high school's golden boy, Milo. She also uncovers some secrets from her mother's long-lost past. The more Grace learns, the more she wonders. Did she ever really know her mother? The main character, um, who is a... Who the character is a budding astronomer, astrophysicist, um, is a huge fan of the real life astrophysicist uh, Dr. Elizabeth Tasker, who makes a sort of cameo in the book playing herself, which is kind of fun. Um, The Dr. Tasker was super excited. uh, the The real life Dr. Tasker was super excited about this. Um, She read and approved the manuscript after being approached. Um, There's a question. There's a and A with Tasker at the end of the novel. she is a world-renowned astrophysicist and science communicator, um, currently lives in Japan, and she has all of these amazing accomplishments under her belt. Um, so I thought that was, that was a cool uh, little talking point about this book. Um, but again, that is The Center of the Universe by Rhea Voros from KCP Loft, and we thank them very much for sponsoring the show. And with that, we'll jump into the heart of our discussion, which fittingly enough is about upcoming movie adaptations. Hurrah. Because as we, (laughs) hurrah. Because as we indicated before, there's a ton of them coming out. Um, so what we did for this episode is we each picked a book that has, um, that is going to be adapted at some point for film or TV. And um, even if it's not even if it doesn't have a release date or anything like that, um, we just went ahead and picked a book that's going to have um, that's going to be adapted for film TV, whatever. And uh, just, you know, to kind of. Stay ahead of the game. Book is is almost always better than the movie. You know all that fun stuff. <laughs> so, uh, Vanessa, why don't you uh, go ahead and kick us off with the, with the book that you read?
0: Sure. So I went with In a Dark, Dark Wood by Ruth Ware because I'd read Ruth Ware before. I really enjoyed the woman in <clears throat> the woman in Cabin Ten, and this was her debut. So I figured, okay, a cool place to start. And it has a lot of the things that sort of. Uh, Ring My Bells. It is about a reclusive writer. It's set in the English countryside. And even before I had read a single page of the book, it already was giving me major Agatha Christie and then there were nun vibes. And that is one of the surest ways to get me to pick up a book. So that was like a done deal. So the story itself is again about a writer uh, named Leonora Shaw. She goes by Nora and she goes out for a jog one day. When she gets back to her flat, she finds that she has an email inviting her to her friend Claire's hen as they say her hen do her bachelorette party for us you know yanks and um what's weird about that is that she hasn't talked to Claire in like 10 plus years and while you don't immediately know this you start to figure out as the story goes on that there is a reason for that and that it's not necessarily a good one it's kind of shrouded in some secrecy but it sounds like things didn't end on a good note and that there is a little bit of uh, kind of water under that bridge as far as why they haven't spoken but it is this kind of other girl that Nora doesn't know named Flo who is organizing this. And she kind of just sends out this email to five or six people saying, you know, hey, will you please come to Claire's Hen? It's out in the countryside. It's going to be at my, my aunt's or aunt's, you know, family estate or something. And, you know, please, 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 will you come? So she doesn't want to go, but she agrees to because one of the gals that's copied on this same email is a friend of hers that she knows from like their uni days. And so they make a pack, like if you go, I go, and they decide to to make the drive out there. So they get there and A, this house is like kind of super weird. They were expecting, you know, the typical like what you envision when you think of like an English country home, the like thatched roof, cottage vibe, you know, surrounded by ivy and, and bushes and greenery. And this house looks over like a wooded area, but it's like all, it's mainly glass. So it's got that, I don't know, like homes that are completely glass, like freak the crap out of me because the idea of just being watched is one that would, I think, never leave me, even if you were out in the middle of nowhere. If anything, I think that's even scarier. <laughs> and so right from the time they get there, they're like, oh, this is... Not what we were expecting, but we're here and we're like really far away from town. And okay, I guess we're in. So they they unpack their stuff and they are introduced um, greeted by this girl named Flo that they've never met, but is again the maid of honor who's organizing this whole thing. And they're immediately a little taken aback by the fact that she sort of looks like she's trying to twin with this person Claire, like she's got the same color hair and the same like hairstyle, and she sort of dresses like her, even though that. Clothing doesn't necessarily, like, look like it would suit her. Like, she just really, it's kind of creepy stuff for YV. But they go in the house and kind of agreed to let her show them around. But she's a super eager beaver. Like, even from page one, you're like, she gives, like, umbrage vibes. Like, Harry Potter, like, I will have order. Like, she's just really sensitive about everything. Like, everything. And they're trying to go along and, like, be cool about it. The rest of the people get there. This girl named Melanie, who I think met her, too, like, in uni. And this guy named Tom that knows her from the theater scene. And they're all kind of thrown together in this bunch and start doing that whole, like, how do you know Claire thing when they uh, (laughs) sort of discover, again, just how umbragey this flow character is. (laughs) Like, if anybody doesn't want to go along with the plan, she throws a fit. And I mean a fit. (laughs) Like, it's actually kind of funny. So while all of this is going on, you're also getting these flashbacks. And keep in mind, this is just like a weekend that they're going on. It's just a weekend hen, you know, two days away. And you're getting these flashbacks to, or yeah, um, it, it flashes back and forth between this scene out in the countryside and what is Nora waking up in a hospital, clearly very, very injured. And she has like really patchy bits of memory. She doesn't exactly know how she got there, but she keeps hearing these police talking to the medical professionals, like just outside her room saying stuff like, we need to talk to her, blah, 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 murder, blah, 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 didn't make it, blah, blah, blah. And so she's like, whoa, WTF, what happened? And I kind of can't say too much more. I I went back and forth about what was plot spoilery and what wasn't. Uh, Let's just say that once we do meet Claire, the person that she's marrying is kind of like, whoa, you couldn't have mentioned that sooner? And the... Dynamics. Again, the best part about this book it has to be this flow character because as soon as somebody again throws like a wrench in the plan of any sort, and it can be anything from like, I just don't want to play that game, she flies into a fit and like calls you a bad person and starts to cry and like heave uncontrollably. She's just really, really special. One of the characters refers to her, <laughs> what does she say? She's like, I think that she's a few cherries short of a trifle. And that is by far going to be like my new insult of choice to people because <laughs> it's just so like British, but mean. <laughs> so I really, really love that, but I'm not done with the book. I'm only like three quarters of the way through full disclosure. But I, I think I figured it out. And I know some people have an issue with predictability. I personally am one of those people that if the book is written well enough, I'm kind of fine with it. And I really do get the Agatha Christie comparisons because she does have um, – Ruth Ware has a really duft way of dropping – little morsels of, like, this slow build of suspense, the, like, character building, the red herrings kind of left about, and I I love that. So I'm really enjoying it, even though, again, I'm, like, 99% positive that I know, like, what's coming, and that the reveal is probably not as, like, bombastic as you would hope it to be, which, as you guys have discussed on this podcast, I think it's just harder and harder to pull off, because I think a lot of the big, like, literary reveals in this genre are rips on something else and it's hard to like really really surprise me but I still really dig it um I I like the if the writing is good and the characters are well written I kind of give it a pass so I am really interested to see how this ends up being adapted. I really hope they make Flo as annoying as crap as she is in this book because you just really want to shake her like more often than not she's she's awful and that they get that really uber creepy vibe of you know, being in a glass house that opens up onto like a creepy wood that's really secluded where there's no cell service and it looks like someone's looking in on you the whole time. So yeah, I'm actually really excited for it. (laughs) So again, that's In a Dark, Dark Wood and that's the debut from Ruth Ware.
1: I have to tell you that I I read the book um I think maybe oh it's been a while since it's been published um but I think I think I read it maybe 3 4 years ago and I read it in like 2 hours mm-hmm. and you just took me on this fantastic trip down memory lane <laughs> Because I haven't read it since. But as you were mentioning the characters, I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Um, But for me, the thing that I remember sticking with me so distinctly was the setting. Like you said, this creepy cabin in the woods. Um, I don't remember if it looks out on a lake or, or some body of water. But for me, it really stuck with me because one of my friends from college his parents have a summer cabin up in Michigan that we would that we would stay at. It's a large cabin. It's vi- it's it's like it's it's a very nice cabin. Um, like it's got a hot tub on the on the patio kind of thing. But it's in the middle of nowhere and it's in the woods. It's got big windows. You always it's totally isolated. It's on the edge of a, like a lake you and one time one time we were there we decided we were gonna go for like a midnight hike through the woods I don't know oh, why Christ <laughs> it's
0: like, that sounds so scary.
1: I don't I don't know if it was actually midnight. It was definitely pitch black though. Was, and like one of us had like a headlamp on. And the whole time we're doing this, I'm like, "Guys, this is like Friday the 13th. Why are we out here? Why is no one listening to the person who watches horror movies? Why are we doing this?" And so uh, the whole time while I was reading the book, I just kept thinking, "Oh my gosh, this is like Matt's cabin." And so the whole time when whenever they were pictured whenever things would happen in the book, I'm like, "This is I'm picturing it in Matt's cabin." And now I'm really freaked out. Whenever a lot of the way just said it actually happens in
0: the book yeah like they go out at one point or or Nora she goes for a jog when it's like pitch black outside and this flow character gives her like a headlamp because it's that dark and then yeah the house um oh it overlooks a bunch of trees because one of the guys says something like about the woods be looking like an audience like the pine trees looking like an audience so all you do is like look out and see this wood and you know Oh, yeah. I don't know. Oh, my God. Those like those houses are gorgeous. But I the first time I stayed in a cabin, kind of like what you're talking about. I'm like, oh, so when do the privacy shades come down? And everyone's looking at me like, nah, bruh. Like, that's this is what you get. I'm like, but the people can seize. Like, just that kind of thing scares me so much, especially if it's out in the middle of nowhere like that. I know it's supposed to be serene, but... I have too much of things of that Friday the Thirteenth vibe. To be like, someone's coming to get me. <laughs> I can't. Yeah,
1: it very much has has that vibe. Um, but yeah, I I remember. Yeah, like I said, I read the book in like two hours, and I really I really enjoyed it. I don't remember if I predicted the ending, but I. But my my problem when I read mystery or suspense novels is every time they introduce a new character, I'm like, they did it. Uh, me too. They did it. Same. It's you. <laughs> yeah. So basically the fact that I accuse every character that comes into play in the book just by just by sheer numbers, I always end up being right. <laughs> like at some point you're right. <laughs> Technically. So I don't know if that actually counts. Yeah, we'll count it. <laughs> um okay, so for my book that I read, this is actually um This is actually a brand new book. I believe it actually comes out today on the 9th. Um, But this is The Five, The Untold Lives of the Women Killed by Jack the Ripper by Hallie Rubenhold. And I remember um, when Rincey and I talked about this in like a little news segment. And um, I just remember kind of reading about the premise of the book and thinking, wow, this is really, I really like this premise because I mean, obviously, everyone is familiar to some degree with Jack the Ripper, but the point that the author makes is that we know Jack the Ripper. We know all this stuff about Jack the Ripper, even though we have no idea who it actually was. We, you know, there have been so many books, movies, documentaries, like everything, every possible way that you can analyze the crimes of this mysterious person who we don't know the real identity of it's been done and done and done and we still keep getting more but what we don't have is a a picture of who the women were that he killed it's um and i mean you can make that point with pretty much any instance of true crime especially if it's a male killer who's who is killing women the the crimes and the the killer himself overshadows the lives of the victims and um with this book the author really you can tell she really was doing her research to piece together an idea of what these women's lives were like because the common like one of the things like you ask anyone about jack the ripper and they'll say oh yeah he killed prostitutes or sex workers but that wasn't the case um these women really they were not they were not prostitutes they you know they they were struggling with they were struggling with homelessness they were struggling with alcoholism um they were struggling against a really horrible culture for women um and they were working against a lot of really awful double standards of you know, victorian london society but you know this this assumption that they were all sex workers because of where they were found and the state that they were in and all this stuff. It's not true. But it just kind of goes to show how easy it is to kind of gloss over these things. And also it shows um, at the time, like the newspapers, and everyone who was who was reporting on these crimes, they were more concerned about, tell, about selling a story, not reporting it accurately. So uh, while she's doing her research, you can tell that she's trying to sift through these These conflicting reports of who the person was, um, conflicting reports of what their how their friends and family described the women um, versus you know what the what the newspapers actually reported, and there's just you can tell that she had to do a lot of reading between the lines and and kind of making educated guesses about you know the the path that their lives ultimately took. Um, But it's a fascinating read. Um, She really goes into detail with each of the five women um and they feel like for the first time they feel like real people they don't feel like you know names in a newspaper they don't feel like a statistic like these women had childhoods they had families they grew up in different places they came from different backgrounds um and ultimately what they all really struggled with were many of them did struggle with alcoholism there's documented um issues with that based on divorce proceedings and comments from friends and families and stuff like that. Um, but a lot of them are experiencing homelessness because like one, one of the, they talk about one of the double standards of the time was that if a man suspected his wife of sleeping with another man committing adultery, basically, he could say she's, you know, she, she's committing adultery and I want a divorce, you know, all this stuff. And that was like, okay, fine. But if the woman found that the, that her husband was sleeping with another woman, she had to prove an additional crime, like cruelty, um, I think, I think rape, like marital rape, something along those lines. She had to, she had to provide proof of that in addition to the adultery before, she before she could be granted a a divorce so basically yeah exactly the husbands could just kind of sleep around with whoever they wanted and the women and their wives couldn't really do anything because they were expected to you know they were they were expected to be the backbone of the family and stick by their husbands because that's what they signed up for and like all this stuff and it's just heartbreaking like it's like it's the kind of stuff that you just you like it feels like it was so long ago, but yet it's not so long ago. And it's one of those things, the more things change, the more things stay the same. And you just want to kind of like rip your hair out at the injustice of all of it. Um, and that's where the focus of the book is. Not on Jack the Ripper and how he killed these women and and how he would like disappear when no and so that no one saw him or who he was. That barely even like factors into the book. It's just about telling the stories of these women. And I love it. It's so interesting. And, you know, even though the the crime aspect is kind of, is definitely a minimal element in the book, it's, it's so, like I said, it's just so interesting. You get such a detailed portrait of Victorian London, um, of the environmental conditions that they were born into, like um, the social movements that were happening at the time. They talk about the environment of the workhouses that the that these women would often find themselves in. It you just you learn so much, and your heart just breaks for these women that they were in that they found themselves in the situ- in these situations, and then to know ultimately what their what their fates were. It's just you know, it's really um yeah, it, it's re- heartbreaking is is a good word for it, but it's 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 really fascinating. If you enjoy narrative nonfiction, you will love this book Um, because, I mean, it has like it's got all kinds of narratives just right there. It's got five narratives. But I also I really hope that this is that this will spark more stories, whether fictional or nonfictional, where the focus is on telling the stories of the victims, not so much the not so much telling the story of the criminal like one of like a fictional book that immediately pops to mind although in this case it is they are one and the same but um was the book see what i have done by um i think it's sarah schmidt i think is the author it's the it's a fictionalized uh account of lizzie borden it's from her perspective, and a few and a few other uh, perspectives of like her sister and and uh, the maid Bridget Sullivan. But I mean, the the even though she was acquitted, the idea is that Lizzie Borden killed her parents. Um, but you get a portrait of who this person is and what you know, just kind of just kind of what type of a life she led and what her life was like on you know the day of the days leading up to the death of her parents, the days afterwards, you know, what that kind of felt like. And it's such an interesting nuanced portrait that you of a person that you think you know a lot about, but you really don't. Um And I know that the the new book that came out um, last month, the, uh, the Trials of Lizzie Borden by Kara Robertson, that's another one that takes a look at kind of the the place of, you know, the, it takes a look at the context surrounding these crimes and what it was like to be a woman in that time period. So I, yeah, I just, I am super excited about this book. And yeah, like I said, I believe it is out in stores today. So if this also is ringing a bunch of your bells and think it's and you think it's super interesting you should be able to go out and uh get a copy of it and again that is uh the five the untold lives of the women killed by jack the ripper by hallie rubenhold um and i will also mention that in the show notes i'll also include a link to the um news announcements about the um adaptation whatever adaptation news there is about each of these books so you can look at that too I cannot wait to read The Five Um, It first. It actually popped up on my
0: radar because of Twitter, because none of this will come as a shock to anybody. But when a piece ran in The Guardian that essentially was sort of teasing like what this book was about, that, you know, the erasure of the identities of victims and how we focus so much more on this person, Jack the Ripper, it started like a Twitter frenzy from a bunch of mainly men, <laughs> but women too, who were like, actually they were prostitutes and they kind of deserve to die and like related crap. Um, and so the feed, I mean, it became like trendy enough that it kind of popped up on my, you know, the Twitter feed without having even heard of the book. And then I started to, to read a little bit more about it. And what you said just really, I think, hits the nail on the head. It reminds me of, and I can't even remember, which is so disgusting, which of our shootings, this happened with, but Morgan Freeman at one point basically came out and said, like, listen, stop covering the the perpetrator, like stop, stop sensationalizing them, like talk about the victims, you know, but this is indicative of this major kind of other <laughs> issue in society where we really do focus so much on, um, you know, the people that are perpetrating these violent crimes that it just creates this culture of, of yeah, sensationalism. And I, that this story in particular, I think you said you hit it right on the head that, These women have all just been lumped into like one banal identity list category that's just like, oh, and these were the women he killed and they were probably prostitutes. And that is so maddening. (laughs) And like you said, it doesn't seem to change a lot. I just can't wait to get into it. it. It sounds really meaty.
1: Yeah, and then one um one other thing that I forgot to mention earlier in the introduction, she talks about how they're like, oh, it must have been a prostitute, and they must, and they they people make so much about, oh, Jack the Ripper was able to lure these women and stuff like that. When she was like, honestly, the way the evidence is shown, it's like it's more likely he snuck up on them while they were asleep, like in a doorway or something like that. So in that sense, like it kind of alters this perception that you have of jack the ripper as this cunning you know almost supernatural type of a person when in actuality it was more along the lines of he probably happened across the women while they were sleeping and which is even more gross yeah um (laughs) so so there is that too so if you really want to dismantle the the uh allure of jack the ripper this i think this will be a good book to do it (laughs) (laughs) yeah I, i definitely need to pack that one
0: so shall i tell us about our second sponsor Please do. Great. So our second sponsor is Forge Books, specifically Redemption Point by Candace Fox. When former police detective Ted Concaffy was wrongly accused of abducting Claire Bingley, he tried to disappear in the tiny town of Crimson Lake. But now Claire's devastated father shows up with a choice for Ted. Help find the real abductor or die. Meanwhile, two young bartenders have been murdered and private detective Amanda Farrell is assisting on the case. Amanda's decade-old conviction for murder left her with odd behavioral traits, but a keen eye for killers. As they hunt for the truth, redemption is on the cards for Ted and Amanda, but it could cost them their lives. So Redemption Point is by number one New York Times bestselling author Candace Fox, published by Forge Books and available now. It's actually the second book featuring unconventional detective team Ten Caffey and Amanda Farrell. Fans of Crimson Lake, which is the first book in the series, can't get enough of them. They're a compellingly strange and really well-rounded duo. Um, so mystery fans who haven't read Crimson Lake will still enjoy Redemption Point because it actually kind of works as a standalone. And Candace is actually one of James Patterson's favorite collaborators. They've worked on Never Never, <clears throat> 50-50, and Liar Liar, and th- which have all been number one New York Times bestsellers. So not one to shy away from tough issues, Candace deals head on with issues of child abuse, molestation, sexual assault, violence, and all of the darker sides of the human character. So visit tor-forge.com
1: to learn more. Alright, so I am going to, I've got some new releases as usual. Um, so the first one on the list is They All Fall Down by Rachel Housel Hall. That book come uh, is out already. Actually, the next few books are, are out already, so you should be able to, to pick those up by the time you listen to this episode. It was supposed to be the trip of a lifetime. Delighted by a surprise invitation, Miriam Macy sails off to a luxurious private island off the coast of Mexico with six other strangers. Right away, this sounds like a bad idea. <laughs> Sorry. Surrounded by miles of open water in the Sea of Cortez, Miriam is soon shocked to discover that she and the rest of her companions have, surprised, been brought to the remote island under false pretenses, and all seven strangers harbor a secret. Danger lurks in the lush forest and the halls and bedrooms of the lonely mansion. Sporadic cell phone coverage and miles of ocean keep the group trapped in paradise, and strange accidents stir suspicions as, one by one, they all fall down. So, again, that is all, all... all Fall Down by Rachel Housel Hall, um, which actually, and now that I'm reading this, I'm like, God, this has a few echoes of uh, In a Dark, Dark Wood here. Yep.
0: <laughs> yep. And, and by the relation then to And Then We're Done by Agatha Christie.
1: Yeah, we, uh, we seem to have tapped upon an unintentional theme for this episode. <laughs> Love when that works out. The next book uh, that is already out and available for purchase is Confessions of an Innocent Man by David R. Dow. Rafael Zeta relishes the simplicity and freedom of his life. He's the owner and head chef of a very promising Houston restaurant. He is a pilot. And so he can go flying off across the Texas horizon whenever he wants a bachelor. Um, he's content with having, uh, with, with having only a few personal or material attachments and then lightning strikes when he finds TRS billionaire, philanthropist, sophisticate, bombshell sitting at one of his tables. He also finds his soulmate and his life starts again. And then just as fast when she is brutally murdered in their home, when he is convicted of the crime, when he is sentenced to die, it is all ripped away. But for Raphael, death row is not the end. It is only the beginning. Now with his recaptured freedom, he will stop at nothing to deliver justice to those who stole everything from him. Um, So what's interesting about this book, um, it's a debut novel, um, but the author has really committed his life to fighting against capital punishment, um, to fighting against the injustices of the death penalty in Texas, um, and he's really created what, um, what the description calls a, a modern parable for exploring our complex, uneasy relationships with punishment and reparation in a in an unjust world. Um, so this book has been getting a lot of buzz, um, and it's supposed to be really, really interesting. Again, it's a Confessions of an Innocent Man by David R. Dow. The next book on the list, this is one I'm actually really super excited to read, is The Last by Hannah Jameson. John thought he had all the time in the world to respond to his wife's text message, which just says, I miss you so much. I feel bad about how we left it. Love you. But as he's waiting in the lobby of the hotel 6 M in Switzerland after an academic conference, still figuring out how he's going to respond to his wife's text message, he receives a string of horrifying of horrifying notifications. Washington, D.C. has been hit with a nuclear bomb, then New York, then London and Berlin. And that's all he knows before news outlets and social media go black and before the clouds on the horizon turn orange. Now, two months later, there are 20 survivors holed up at the hotel, a place already tainted by its strange history of suicides and murders. Those who can't bear to stay commit suicide or wander off into the woods. John and the others try to maintain some semblance of civilization, but when the water pressure disappears and John and a crew of survivors investigate the hotel's water tanks, they are shocked to discover the body of a young girl. As supplies dwindle and tensions rise, John becomes obsessed with investigating the death of the little girl as a way to cling to his own humanity. But the real question remains, can he afford to lose his mind in this hotel, or should he take his chances in the outside world? I have a a deep interest in books that have this kind of classic or core mystery at its heart, but it's got like this dystopian or like a a sci-fi-ish horror outside thing going on here like it's like hey there's a mystery but you know the world is also crumbling around us as we speak um so again that is the last by hannah jameson and then the last book that i want to talk about is going to be out next week on april 16th this is diary of a murderer and other stories by young ha kim translated by chris lee And one of the one of the lines in the book says, it's been 25 years since I last murdered someone, or has it been 26? I wanted to give that caveat that that is from the book and not actually me saying it. (laughs) I'm just covering my bases here. (laughs) So this is um, from the title, you can tell it is a collection of short stories. It explores what it means to be on the edge between life and death, good and evil in the titular novella a former a former serial killer suffering from memory loss sets his sights on one final target his daughter's boyfriend who he suspects is also a serial killer um which ugh. <laughs> This now, this just sounds a little bit like my sister the serial killer, which is yep. uh, <laughs> love that book. Um, but in the other stories, there's um you witness an affair between two childhood friends that questions the limits of loyalty and love, a family's disintegration after their baby son is kidnapped and then recovered years later, and a wild, erotic ride about pursuing creativity at the expense of everything else. I don't usually go for short story collections. It's just not something I go for as a reader. That being said, this one sounds really, really interesting. Um and again, that is Diary of a Murder and Other Stories by Young Ha Kim. And that comes out next week on April 16th. Oh, and with that, Vanessa, why don't you tell us <laughs> what, what you finish and what you're starting? Uh in terms of mysteries, blah, words. <laughs> I gotcha. I understood. <laughs> Thank you.
0: So clearly I didn't like all the way finish in a dark, dark wood, but that will happen as soon as I end the show. Cause I don't have much left. And like you said, it is a quick one. Like it goes, I, I, yeah, started it today. Full disclosure. Um, uh, but after that, oddly enough. I know because we shared our agenda, you and I are reading the same thing, which is The Sadapur Moonstone by Sujata Masi, which is the follow-up to uh, The Widows of Balabar Hill, a little book you may have heard us gush about on numerous channels, podcasts, newsletters, et cetera, because we all really, really dig it. Um, and I'm on audio, uh, I'm actually doing Murder by the Book by Claire Harmon, which you guys talked about last week. Which is the um, nonfiction about the Victorian like murder that kind of shook up London back when uh, Dickens was writing, etc. And it's I, yeah, I, you just that's a really easy way to hook me. So I'll be taking <laughs> both of those with me on my trip to Cuba.
1: Oh, awesome! Yeah, so um, once a, yeah, once again, I I find myself just kind of not not quite a full on reading rut. I just find myself doing things other than reading, and it's frustrating because I want to read. <laughs> um, but I did finish Blood Harvest, um, by S J Bolton, or as she is now known, Sharon Bolton, which I talked about on our last episode. I did finish it. it is a really solid suspense novel. Um, I've read. Oh, I think I've only read one of her other books before, but my husband has read a few of her other books and he just loves her um so if you're looking for really good atmospheric british psychological suspense like set in the english countryside kind of like in a dark dark wood again (laughs) theme theme. here Yeah, Sharon Bolton, she's just, she's really good at these types of stories. So I, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed Blood Harvest. I thought it was, um, I, th- I thought it was really solid. Um, and then like, <laughs> um, like Vanessa said, um, I am going to be starting the poor Moonstone by Sh- Sujana Masi. Um, I had a digital copy of it, but I wasn't able to get to it before the, um, before the digital, a uh, copy expired from the publisher, but as luck would have it, last week I got a box full of arcs at work. Oh yeah! And as and I, as I was pawing through them, I went ah, and then I had to explain to all of my new coworkers why I just went ah in the <laughs> office. I'm like, no, 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 it's okay. I found a book I really wanted to read um so i brought that home today um so i will probably start on that um and then just i oh gosh i brought home so many arcs last week because my um my husband was away for a couple of nights and so i thought perfect this is the perfect time for me to bring in all the books i've been holding up at work because i'm afraid to walk in the door with an armful of arcs again oh he knows he came in and, and he looked at the side table and he was like why are there so, four new books Katie. stacked on top of this pile? <laughs> I was like, "Shh, you don't know what you're <laughs> seeing." Everything's fine. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> um, so I brought home a big old stack of books. Most of them are mysteries. <laughs> oh man, that I am excited to read. So um, we'll, we'll see what happens. It's funny. The setup for Moonstone. I went to
0: Winter Institute back in January, which is you know big indie bookseller convention. And as most of the Book Riot community now knows, I got swine flu on the final day. Um, I didn't
1: know that. Oh, my God.
0: Oh, I've never felt that bad, at least not in like 20 years. It was the worst. And I got it while I was still there. Like I woke up at two in the morning in what I thought was a freezing hotel room. And so I got up to go switch the temperature off, which made no sense because it was 20 degrees outside. Like, why would I have had the air on? Um, but I thought I did. And then I looked in the mirror and saw that I had like sweat through my clothes and that kicked off like the worst two weeks ever. Yeah. Major. It was really, really, really bad. (laughs) But (laughs) before I got on the plane, there's this big room at Winter Institute called the galley room, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's just this room full of, you know, galleys arcs that are coming out. And I dragged my butt, sweating, no makeup, hair looking crazy, running 103 fever down to that galley room and grabbed the Sujata Masi book and put it in my bag before I somehow convinced Southwest Airlines to let me fly home because I shouldn't have I look like I had SARS but that was like the last thing that I did I was like I have to get this book so I went down there and just like I'll have one of these please and then went home (laughs) it's just I wanted to have it
1: okay I've got two things to say (laughs) one that is dedication (laughs) to don't try this at home kids please don't (laughs)
0: <laughs> I do not, zero stars to swine flu, I don't recommend.
1: <laughs> do not recommend, would not try again. No, not at all. <laughs> but yeah, no, they're, they're everyone I know has gotten something along those lines that has just been horrible. It's some kind of flu or yeah. strep or horrible cold. I have managed to avoid it, knock on wood, um,
0: but it's gnarly and apparently the reason people our age are still getting it is because we statistically are the ones that get the flu shot the least and i'll be the first one to tell you i like never get that thing because i used to get it when i was younger and i always got sick anyway and then of course you know if
1: you talk to me in the middle of that thing i was like
0: i will get it for the rest of my life like
1: i felt that bad but we so we will learn a lesson from you make sure you get your flu shot <laughs> next year, kids. yes Oh my gosh. Okay, so now now I'm remembering seeing your thing that you were really sick. I didn't realize it was swine flu. Yeah, it was, oh my Lord. It was the worst.
0: <laughs> and I know that's what your listeners came here to listen to. So sorry about that. But yeah, just a sidebar.
1: <laughs> well, that's all right. That's how we're going to close out the show. <laughs> Woo-hoo! That is our show. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> <laughs> For show notes, um, you can head over to bookriot.com slash listen. We'll have all of the news items up. We'll have adaptation news about the two books that we talked about. We'll have links to all of the new releases, all of that fun stuff. Um, you can find it there. Um, if you enjoyed this podcast, please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so that other people can discover us. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, we love hearing from everyone. Um, So you've got a few different ways that you can contact us. You can send us an email, um, at bookriot.com. We have a lot of people that reach out to us that way. Um, You can also find us on social media. I am on Twitter at KT underscore library lady. And I am on Twitter and Instagram at Buenos Dias SD, which is a rip on my last
0: name. So that's B-U-E-N-O-S-D-I-A-Z-S-D. All right.
1: And then we will talk to you guys next time. Bye. See ya.